you have your Bible with you today, if you would turn with me to Micah 5.2. If you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Micah 5.2. Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. This is the word of God. God. You may be seated. In the year 2010 AD, a self-appointed king had an announcement. He had made plans to leave his kingdom, a kingdom where he had lived for his entire life. He was going to establish another kingdom, one which he claimed would rule over all the other kingdoms. Both this announcement and his arrival were to be a giant spectacle on the biggest stage. His announcement drew over 13 million people, and thousands of live fans showed up to welcome him. For sports fans, you might already know what I'm talking about. For those who don't, I'm referencing NBA star LeBron James and what was known as The Decision. A decision that was planned from four years previous on vacation with fellow NBA stars Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. One where he would leave the Cleveland Cavaliers, team up with Wade and Bosh, and go play for the Miami Heat. At their introduction in Miami, he promised a dynasty where the Heat would win not just a championship, but championships. He claimed the Heat with James would win over and over and over and over and over, up to and past seven. James wanted to ensure that his new kingdom would receive the attention of the world, and his plan had been refined through the previous four years. This grand plan appeared to be working, as over the next three years, his group would be dubbed the Heatles, as their popularity was akin to the Beatles, and they would win back-to-back championships. However, by the end of year four, after a complete and utter beatdown in the championship by the San Antonio Spurs, the shine had come off. James would leave Miami just a few months later and return to Cleveland. All in all, this king planned for four years. He announced his plan with prideful and bold declarations, but in the end, his kingdom would only last four short years. We contrast King James with the king we see in our passage, a king planned from ancient days, who announces his plan will start in humble beginnings and a kingdom which will last for all of eternity. This brings us to my big idea for tonight. At our previous evening service, Tariq powerfully spoke to us from Genesis about God's sustaining love. I've continued off his big idea with tonight's big idea, which is God's surpassing plan. Last month, we were reminded and encouraged by God's love, how he rescued us and delivered us from the effects of sin and death. Tonight, I hope to share a glimmer of God, a glimpse of God's surpassing plan, which is rooted in that sustaining love. How God's plan allows us to rest knowing that we are in his hands the one with whom there are no surprises, and whose plan surpasses all, even time itself. Along with the big idea, I have two points we'll dive deeper into tonight regarding God's plan of salvation. The first, God works his plan through humble means. Second, God's plan has been laid from before time, and his kingdom will last beyond time. First, God works his plan through humble means. Second, God's plan has been laid from before time, and his kingdom will last 
beyond time. We'll begin by stepping back and taking a look at the entirety of the book of Micah. Chapters 1 through 3 are a lament on the state of the nations and a promise that those who have done wrong will be judged. Chapter 4 shares a vision of the restoration that's promised as Micah speaks to the people of the kingdom which will come. And in chapter 5, where we find our text, he reveals a look at the one who will usher in and rule this kingdom. We see from reading the book of Micah that this was a time of unrest. The nations of Israel and Judah were rife with issues of massive injustice towards the lowly. The norm for business dealings was to take advantage of any and all. Women and children were mistreated. Families were forced out of homes they lived in for generations. And those in power built their wealth off the backs of the common people. As I read those chapters of Micah, I was overwhelmed with a sense of gratitude that we no longer see these same issues. We now live in a time where the news is filled with leaders who prioritize truth over party lines. Businesses value people over profits and souls over shareholders. Human lives are valued from womb to tomb. We live in a nation that seeks after the Lord and obeys his commands. This misjustice and mistreatment no longer happens. If only. If only this was true. Rather, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. I'd wager you could take a 750 BC headline from the Jerusalem Journal, you could simply change some names, places, and you could print it in the Daily Memphian. The issue is not in the system of ruling, the method of economy, the rise of technology, or any other factor. Names, places, people groups, specific issues have changed, but the root cause has not. Since the fall, mankind's natural bent to sin and our capacity for evil has not changed. Mankind is no different today as it was in the times of Micah. When the fruit was eaten in the garden, God spoke to the serpent and promised there is one coming who will strike the serpent's head. In this, we see that first indication of God's surpassing plan. There is a one true ruler promised. And now, thousands of years later, Micah speaks to the lowly and the oppressed and he promises them, this is not the end. The Lord is watching and he has a plan. Micah reminds us that despite trials faced and justice seen, God's plan surpasses all. Our first point today is God works his plan through humble means. We see this in the very birthplace of Christ. Micah 5.2 opens with Bethlehem Ephrathah, you're small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. I like how the ESV says it. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you will come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Ephrathah here is simply an older name for Bethlehem. Bethlehem, of course, is the city in which Jesus will be born. It is in the words, you are small or who are too little, that we find our first point. If you've watched any basketball lately, you've probably seen the current celebration where when a player scores on a defender, they put their hand low to the ground to signify that the other player is too little to stop them. They're claiming the other player is insignificant when it comes to the outcome of the play. They're so small, they might as well have not been there. In our text tonight, Micah comes right out, he hits Bethlehem with the too little celly. <laughs> Bethlehem is too little. Bethlehem is not a humanly logical, helpful location for the ruler of the eternal kingdom to start out. It's so small, it's not even counted among the clans of Judah. So why? Why is God working his plan through humble means? The answer to this 
is the same answer you hear from the children at NBC if they're asked the catechism question, why did God make you in all things? For his own glory. He works in humble ways for his own glory. By choosing Bethlehem Ephrathah as the birthplace of the coming ruler, there's no confusion. There's no debate on who receives the glory. From the little and the forgotten, there comes one who changes the entire course of history. Through no human achievement or accomplishment, this honor is bestowed on Bethlehem. Brothers and sisters, God working in this way should both drive us to our knees and allow us to live freely. Just as God freely bestows the honor of the birth of Jesus on Bethlehem, Jesus also freely bestows on us the way of the Father, a way that is brought about by no human achievement or accomplishment, but solely through the perfect life lived and the death he died on the cross. In that same vein, God working in humble means means we don't have pressures and expectations on us. We don't have to reach peak human achievement for God to work in and through us. As believers, our required contribution to God's plan is not a long list of endeavors or championships. Rather, what's required is spelled out in Micah 6.8. He has told each of you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you. To act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. As we continue, as we continue examining Micah 5.2, we read, One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient days. From this, we see our second point. God's plan has been laid from before time, and his kingdom will last beyond time. God's plan to rescue his people was laid from antiquity. This is not a last-second audible or frantic rerouting to avoid traffic from Google Maps. Isaiah 40.20 tells us of the one who put together this plan. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. The Lord is everlasting. He understands all and his plan surpasses all. Taking on human form, God became man. This was it, right? This was the time. The plan has worked. The king is here. The ancient one has arrived and he will lead Israel to crush the Romans and take the throne. This is the thought on the hearts and the minds of the Israelites and the crowds during Palm Sunday as they eagerly welcomed him to Jerusalem. But no, God's surpassing plan is so much bigger. His plan for ruling over Israel is not based on an earthly kingdom. The promised one from David's lineage is eternal and his kingdom will be an eternal one. Jesus came not to reign on earth, but rather to save. In John 18, Jesus clarifies this when questioned by Pilate, are you the king of the Jews? My kingdom is not of this world, Jesus said. His time on earth was spent living the life we can't live and being the perfect standard we can't meet. He suffered for us and then sacrificially died on the cross to take our punishment. At that moment, it seemed as if the sting of death had come and grave was taking its victory. But praise be to God, the surpassing plan did not end there. No, brothers and sisters, it was just beginning. Three days later, Jesus rose and was exalted to the right hand of God. God's plan surpasses even death itself, and through Christ we have access to the Father. This world is not the culmination of God's plan. It is merely a chapter in the story. Christ came to shatter and break the hold of sin and death over this current world. We see Jesus take his throne and fulfill God's surpassing plan in Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, 
Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. We live with hope because we know that sickness, pain, loss, misjustice, trials, all the effects of sin we live with, they are not the end. Beloved, we are not made for this world. God's surpassing plan began in eternity past and it finalizes in the coming eternal kingdom. One where Christ will gather his children, rule over Israel, and make everything new. There will be no more tears, no more pain, no more injustice, no more death. Brothers and sisters, our faith is in Jesus Christ. It is in his perfect work that we trust. We live without the burden of performing to an unreachable standard, knowing he's glorified if we will just walk both humbly and faithfully. We press on without growing despondent over current situations or events because his plans are from antiquity and the ending, it's already been written. We trust in his plan even as we see signs of misjustice and the effects of sin. We hope and we do not despair because our hope is not in this world. Rather, our hope is in the one who is coming to make all things new. Through his work, and only his work, we are welcomed as sons and daughters and freely given an inheritance in his promised kingdom. For any of you here tonight who might not have a personal relationship with Christ, who have not trusted him with your life, he freely offers you the same peace and invites you to spend eternity with him in the coming kingdom. Confess your sins, trust in Jesus, and give him control of your life. If you have any questions about this, please find myself or any other member of Bentown Baptist after. We'd love to speak with you more. If you bow your heads. Father God, I pray that we would go out tonight with humble hearts, hearts that are full of gratitude for the undeserved and freely given salvation you've gifted us. I pray that as we are faced with the brokenness of this present world, that we would be filled with hope and trust in your surpassing plan. I pray that this season of Advent would be one where we do not lose sight of the greatest gift of all, your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.